Thanks for listening to Covenant Church Podcast. We hope that this message is exactly what you need to hear. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Did you know that the genius physicist Albert Einstein once said, imagination is a preview of life's coming attractions. And we use imagination all the time, don't we, to try to figure out what our life will be like if we make one choice or the other. A high school student will use imagination to think about what it would be like if he chose a certain college. A young man or a young woman might use their imagination to think about what life would be like if he or she chose to marry a certain person. The young couple imagines what it would be like if they chose to live in a specific house in a specific neighborhood. The worker thinks about what would it be like if I changed careers or switched jobs. Somebody who's in the fourth quarter of life thinks about what it might be like if they retired. Yes, I wonder what that would be like. But we use imagination all the time. Imagination is a preview of life's coming attractions. And this morning, I want to invite you to use your imagination to think about what your life will be like as you grow in your relationship to Jesus. And if you're not yet a believer, imagine what it would be like for you to become a Christian. In our passage from the Gospel of John this morning, Jesus feeds our imagination by giving us a story, an illustration, an analogy of a spiritual journey in which he takes the glory that he brought with him into the world and he shares it with you. Here's a photo from my recent trip to the Galapagos. The Galapagos Islands in Ecuador. The picture doesn't do justice to the size and brilliance of the moon in the background. It was bigger and brighter than I'd ever seen it. But did you know that the moon has no light of its own? That it is profoundly and completely dark? That the light we're seeing from the moon is simply the reflection of the sun on its surface? And it illustrates how you and I are to reflect the glory of Jesus in our lives. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, John wrote these words. We have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then from our chapter today, John 15, Jesus said... This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this morning we're going to read John 15 in three parts and learn from each something about what it means for us to reflect the glory of Jesus. So let's begin. To reflect Jesus' glory, you will be pruned, according to John 15 verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus introduces this analogy of the vineyard by claiming of himself, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Grape growing and winemaking were quite common in the ancient Middle East, and Jesus' original audience would be familiar with the meticulous process of keeping and maintaining a vineyard. The science and art of winemaking hasn't really changed that much over the centuries. It still requires painstaking effort and professional skill. Stefano Watson is the owner winemaker of Avio Vineyards in Sutter Creek, California. He had this to say about the process. In terms of winemaking, the pruning really is the most important part of the winemaking process. What we do in the vineyard at the beginning of the year has huge ramifications on the quality of the wine we make. Now as for the grapevine itself, it has four basic parts. There's the trunk, which comes out of the ground much like the trunk of a tree. Then this trunk splits into two branches that are called cordons. Out of the cordons are spurs or shoots, and from these spurs come even smaller sprouts that are called canes from which the grapes grow. Each year at the beginning of the grape growing season, the gardener or the vine dresser works his way carefully from vine to vine, pruning selected branches, cutting off some, cutting back others, all in an effort to grow the very best grapes to produce the very best wine possible. This analogy is telling us that Jesus is teaching us that if you believe in him, if you trust in him, then you will be the object of God's focused attention and meticulous care. The intensity required to maintain a productive and fruitful vineyard indicates that the Father will treat you with tender love and unparalleled affection. But... It also predicts pruning. You will be pruned, which can be a very painful process. Let's face it, you, all, you and I all have some unhealthy, sometimes self-destructive habits. We each have unholy character flaws and problems in our personalities. And we need to be pruned from these. An example of this from my own life was that when I was younger, I was profoundly insecure. Maybe difficult for you to believe as I'm standing up here in front of you, but I was a profoundly insecure young man. And, and this was very much in evidence in the er early years of my dating relationship with Debbie and in the early years of my, my marriage. And this insecurity uh, showed itself in the form of possessiveness and dominance. Now, I don't know why Debbie put up with me, but she did. 
But over the years, as I grew in my knowledge of the love of God the Father for me in Jesus Christ, there, there was this pruning of that insecurity. Pruning, pruning, pruning. And carefully, slowly, over time, being replaced by a growing assurance of God's love for me and a confidence that comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, I am the perfect husband. (laughs) Come on now. Perhaps it would be helpful for us to take a moment right now, especially at this moment, give you a moment to think and reflect about maybe some area of your life that needs to be pruned by the careful love of God the Father so that you might be a more productive and fruitful person. Father, would you show us those things out of your tender mercy? Then you might ask, what do I need to do for this pruning to occur? And the answer Jesus gives us essentially is nothing. If you want to experience the carefully, careful pruning of God the Father in your life, you must do nothing but remain in Jesus. That's what Jesus said in verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What does it mean to remain? It means to stay put. Don't move. Put your life in Jesus' hands and leave it there. Do nothing but believe and trust in Jesus and you will be pruned. As we continue to imagine what life will be like as we grow in our relationship to Christ, we learn secondly that to reflect Jesus' glory, you will be fruitful in Jesus. Now here's another picture from my trip to the Galapagos. It's rated PG. Due to exploitation by pirates and whalers over the years, the population of these famous tortoises fell from more than a quarter million to near extinction by the year 1970. But with the help of conservationists, the tortoise population of the Galapagos Islands now exceeds more than 20,000 and growing. As you can see from this picture, they are very fruitful. Jesus said that if we live a life in dependence on, his, on him, if we live our lives in dependence on him, then we will be fruitful and we will multiply. Verses five through eight. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice that apart from Jesus, separate separate from Jesus, you can do nothing. That is nothing of eternal value, nothing that will last forever. 
Jesus uses some threatening words to describe those who remove themselves from a connected relationship to him. The alternative to fruitfulness is destruction. But Jesus emphasizes the good news here, not the bad, by encouraging us to put our trust in him and keep it there. Again, look how many times he uses the word remain, 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 eight times in eight verses, and we're just getting started. And those who remain, Jesus says, will be fruitful in several ways. First, you will be fruitful in prayer, according to verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now at first glance, it appears as though Jesus Christ is offering us a Christian version of Aladdin's lamp. Remember, Aladdin found an old magical oil lamp in a cave which contained a wish-granting genie. And when Aladdin rubbed the lamp, the genie would appear offering to grant Aladdin Three wishes, no matter how grandiose they were. Is that what Jesus is offering us here? Not quite. Rather, Jesus connects the effectiveness of your prayer life to your growing knowledge of his word. Specifically, his words in the Bible. So you see there, the more you read the Bible, the more you know the Bible, the more your heart is marinated in the words of the Bible, the more your desires are shaped by the words of the Bible. Eventually then, you want what God wants for the world and life. You become more fruitful and productive in prayer because your will, your desires are more aligned with those of God's. You wish for what God wishes for, therefore he's eager to do it because it's what he wanted in the first place. So next time you pray, I would suggest that you do so with open eyes and an open Bible and pray your prayers right out of the word of God. You will be fruitful in prayer. Secondly, you will be fruitful in character. Verse eight, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now we think back to the analogy of the moon that reflects the light of the sun. The true Christian is someone who lives a life in a certain relationship to God the Father that they more and more reflect the light of the Son of God. Specifically, we might think here of the fruit of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wouldn't you love it to have your character shaped by those qualities? That's exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life. Imagine yourself as a Christian growing deeper in these qualities and fruit of the Holy Spirit. You will grow in character. And then thirdly, the third kind of fruit that you can expect in your life as you remain in Jesus Christ is what Paul calls fruitful labor 
in Philippians 1.22. Like Paul, those to whom Jesus spoke the words of John 15 went on to become ministers and missionaries. After Jesus was raised from the dead, these same men went out into the world declaring the good news of God's salvation in Jesus. And it was through their effort, through their mission, that they multiplied the number of Jesus' followers and the number of churches that existed around the world so that over the course of time, they filled the earth with the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. And that fruitfulness of the first generation of Jesus' followers not only crossed time and the globe, but it reached even us. That we're here today because of the fruitfulness of these first missionaries. And you and I are invited to take part in it. In fruitful labor, in fruitful mission, by reflecting God's glory from our life into the world and sharing our faith in word and deed with our neighbor. You'll be fruitful in mission. So we reflect Jesus' glory by our fruitfulness. Then thirdly, Jesus taught that we would reflect his glory in his love. You will love like Jesus. Now my friend Mary Elzinga insisted that I use an illustration about the Galapagos blue-footed booby birds. She loved the booby birds. So here it is, Mary. She's watching from Michigan, I think. The blue-footed booby birds are unique to the Galapagos Islands, and they're a special bird in many ways. First of all, because they're one of the very few birds in the world that mate for life. And when they mate, they do this very odd, awkward dance together on the rocks by lifting one foot after the other, almost mirroring each other in their behavior. It's a very strange looking thing, but obviously very endearing to the booby birds. Now once the female lays her eggs on the bare rocks, the male and female take turns sitting on the eggs while the other flies out to sea for food. And when the baby booby birds are hatched, the male and the female take turns feeding them. So they are a beautiful picture of love, loyalty, and fidelity. In John 15, Jesus says that his true followers will increasingly exhibit his love, loyalty, and fidelity. Verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Well, there's a lot packed into these verses, but I've chosen three characteristics of Jesus' love that he would want us to reflect in our lives. And the first of these characteristics is that Jesus' love is an obedient love. Jesus says there's a connection between love and obedience. That is, those who love God will obey God, and those who obey God will remain in his love. Now, I can understand how that works out based on my own marriage. If I say that I love my wife, Debbie, but I treat her like dirt, then do I really love her? Don't my actions speak louder than my words? And yet Jesus Christ loved us even when we treated him like dirt. He's the model of our love for one another. Now this is not to say that we are saved by our obedience, that's not so. Rather, we are saved for obedience. The one who knows God, the one who loves God, the one who is in Christ by faith, will obey God. They are connected indelibly in the gospel. An obedient love. Secondly, Jesus' love is a sacrificial love. Speaking of sacrifice, did you know that since the Vietnam War, there's only been seven medals of honor winners, all posthumously? The most recent medal of honor winner was Army Specialist Ross McGinnis because of his bravery in Iraq. According to the official record, on the afternoon of December 4th, 2006, McGinnis' platoon was on a patrol in a, in a restricted area to quell, quell enemy movements and sectarian violence. During the course of the patrol, an unidentified insurgent positioned on a rooftop nearby threw a fragmentation grenade into their Humvee. Without hesitation or regard for his own life, McGinnis threw his back over the grenade. He pinned it between his body and the radio mount of the Humvee. McGinnis absorbed all the legal, lethal fragmentation and the concussive effects of the grenade in his own body, saving the lives of his platoon mates while giving up his own. In verse 13, Jesus most famously said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the standard or high bar of love that Jesus establishes for his followers, that we would love each other so fully and completely that we would give our lives for one another if such a sacrifice were required. Even as Jesus was speaking these words, he was circling the airport of his own death on the cross. Just a short Time from now, from this moment, Jesus himself would be giving up his life for his friends. 
But Jesus is more than a model of love. We need more than a model, much more than a model. Jesus is the mediator of love, which means that by his death on the cross, he put himself between sinful people like us and a holy God, making a payment in his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, Jesus put himself in the line of fire. Jesus took the bullet. Jesus jumped on the grenade. The wages of our sin is death. In love, Jesus died for us so that by his resurrection, we might become his friends. Truly, there is no greater love in all the universe than the love Jesus Christ had for us when he gave up his life for us on the cross and for our sins. Our love for one another can only ever be a faint shadow of the love Jesus has for us. It is a sacrificial love. And then thirdly, it is a fruitful love. We come full circle back to the analogy of the vine and of course the purpose, the goal, the expectation of the vine is that it would bear fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus wants you to be a fruitful person. Jesus wants covenant to be a fruitful church. Aren't those encouraging words for us to hear at this particular moment in time? That Jesus is not against us, but rather he is for us, and that he has given us everything we need to fulfill our mission and to live a life that is fulfilling and satisfying in his service. And yet I am aware that these words of encouragement can be hard to hear and receive because of all that we've been through over the past couple of years as individuals and as a church. I mean, we've been through COVID and shutdowns and masks and social distance. We've, been, we've seen unemployment, underemployment, disappointment. Here at the church, we've seen staff, unexpected staff turnovers and lots of changes and people coming and people going. And it's been a difficult time. And sometimes it's easier to think that God has abandoned us or the Holy Spirit has left the building. But I can tell you based on the authority of the word of God today that that's not so. Jesus is still the life-giving vine. His father is still pruning and trimming us back and that can be painful. And yet the reality is he has been preparing us for a new season of life and ministry together in which we can more fully reflect his love, obedience, sacrifice, and glory to our community. If imagination is a preview of life's coming attractions, then I invite you to imagine this. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for 
filling our imaginations with your words. And by reminding us of all the good things you have in store for us as individual believers and as a church. We open up our hearts this morning to receive the encouragement you have for us. We believe you, we trust you. We remain in you. And we ask that you would make us fruitful that you would enable us to endure the pruning and that you would teach us in fresh new ways how to love you and how to love each other in a way that shows off your glory among us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. For more ways to connect, visit our website at covenantdoylestown.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.